Every day we pass by people who have stories that need to be heard because we need to be shaped by them. This is one of those stories. Nick Clancy. Bro, I am stoked to be uh, doing this podcast with you, man. I'm excited to be here and to do this with you, man. Well, Thank you for having me. Hey, it's 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 our pleasure. I I remember walking through this restaurant, the Commons, mm-hmm. and I see this guy sitting at a table who's got a Bible. He's reading through it, looking intense at this, and I see you there a couple of times, and I think, you know what? I want to get to know this guy. I want to know what's what's up there. Yeah. And so um, we started talking a couple different times. Then we went out to eat, and. I just love uh, hearing your story, mm. and thank you. Uh, I thought there was definitely some things that could encourage some people through the course of what we talk about today. Mm. I want to talk about you getting to the precipice of the NFL, mm. and then God creating a different path for you. Yeah. So we'll yeah. we'll work up to that. Okay. Um, Sounds good. But but first, a couple of quick questions to get you warmed up here. Sure. Um, favorite football team of all time. Well, being from Chi Town, Chicago, I have I have to say, the Bears. You know, I, I think I'd get I'd get pretty uh, I'd get beat up if I didn't say the Bears. So well, you're 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 a pretty big guy, so I don't know <laughs> how many people beat you up. In fact, question, I know, my mom can still beat me up. So well, that's a good that's a good answer right there. So bench press, how much can you bench press? Gosh, I've or the highest. What's the most you've ever benched? This is such a meathead question. Yeah. But, uh, it feels appropriate, though. Does it not? Sure. Uh, 412 pounds. All right. In, that's, in, in the prime of things. That so. sounds really <laughs> respectable to me. Um, mm-hmm. And then the, the last quick question for you. Um, which do you prefer, spending time with your cross-stitch or shopping for antique <laughs> salt and pepper shakers? Oh, you didn't tell me about this question. Um, I would say Antiques are uh, oh, okay. one of my favorite shows growing up, Antiques well, Roadshow. So. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Well, to get those out of the way. Yeah. Now, okay. Um, with that being said, so let's just jump in here. You growing up in the Midwest, mm. tell me what it was like for you growing up as a kid in the Midwest. What What did your life look like? Great question. Um, well... I should probably add that I was homeschooled, one of five kids. Um, Mom was teaching us. At one point, Mike, the oldest, was learning like hard algebra, and I'm learning how to read. And so it was sort of a chaotic household. Where where were you in birth order? Youngest. So it was sort of a chaotic household in that my mom was was just juggling a million hats. Um, But we were homeschooled. We, we, We were the typical Midwest sort of blue collar, um, Bible believing family went to church more, more than I even want to admit. It was just like Sunday service, morning, evening, Wednesday morning, evening life group on Thursdays. It was just sort of church overload. Um, but to balance that out, we had sports 
And sports were a big deal in our family, uh, especially for me. It was sort of an outlet, but it also brought balance so that we weren't sort of the weird homeschool kids. You know, we actually know how to conduct ourselves in social settings and stuff like that. So, Are you telling me that sometimes homeschooling kids get a bad rap? Sometimes we don't even say we're homeschooled. We're homeschewed. Well, you know, that's sort of the... Uh, <laughs> that's the joke. <laughs> We're home screwed because you, you, you were just sort of naturally sheltered from things that normal neighborhood kids weren't, weren't sheltered from. And so it was a different dynamic having to be integrated into kids that knew nothing about the experience that I had. Um, but then just learning that dynamic and craving that dynamic, wanting to be yeah. social. Yeah. So you said it was, there was obviously an overload of faith that you had a, a lot of activity yes. going on in your house. Mm-hmm. Um, so how did you even interact with the other, the neighborhood kids? I mean, if you're so isolated, did sports bring you into the neighborhood some or, or what did that even look like? Or were you sheltered from the, the neighborhood? No, I, I would say that the, the dynamic was mom, homeschool, church, shelter, protect, keep the bad out, protect the good that's there. Dad was, no, we got to expose them to this, that, and the other. We have to, we have to create some balance in the household. And if I, I say, if it wasn't for my dad bringing that balance, I think it would have been very difficult for us to even interact with neighborhood kids. But sports, I think, ended up being sort of that way for us to communicate with the kids without being like the weird, the weird family on the corner that uh, is homeschooled. <laughs> yeah. So football. Football, yeah. Was there other sports too, or were you primarily football? No, b- baseball, football, and baseball um, were probably the two, the two major sports. We played everything, but baseball and football were the sports I played all the way through high school. But you didn't play the real man's sport, hockey, right? Believe it or not, no. And, and that's, I'm a little disappointed. Up in Chicago, hey, you didn't get that's into exactly. No, we did not play. We're done. Wrap it up. We're over. <laughs> um. Okay, so yeah. you're playing football. When did you first start playing it? Played at seven, uh, full contact tackle football at seven. Uh, my older brothers played, so it was sort of just as soon as you got into that seven, eight, nine years of age, it was it was time to play football. Now, were you homeschooled all the way through high school? Uh, up until seventh grade. Because I was going to ask, when did you get to start playing football for a school? I'm assuming that you did in so- high school. For high school, yeah, that was for the school, but it was a Pop Warner league from seven to thirteen. It was just an organized, uh, organized league on the south side of Chicago. So, when you got into high school, was there a point in which you realized I'm actually pretty decent at this game? I would say I hit this growth spurt. You know, you hit this growth spurt where your body starts changing, you know, you start moving around in the weight room a little bit different than the other guys. And you start noticing that you're able to do things other people can't do. And, um, and then that ends up translating to game day. And all of a sudden it's like people wanting to interview you after the game and write about you in the paper. And, and you're like, and you're like, I'm a junior in high school. What's this about? Right. 15, 16 years old, getting all this attention. And, uh, and this is in Chicago. This is in Chicago. And uh, all of a sudden you're getting letters from colleges that want to recruit you. And all of a sudden it's just, it happens so quickly that it's, even, it's, it's just hard to even process as, as, a, as a young 15, 16, 17-year-old kid. So you're wrapping up high school. 
And mm-hmm. now it comes time to determine where to go to college. What did that look like for you? Yeah. So I had a lot of good uh, options, um, schools that were interested and wanted me to play for them. And for me, academics have always been a big thing. And I wanted to sort of get out of the Midwest. So I chose Boston College. Um, I remember taking this trip with my dad and it was just like, you know, that gut feeling like, I think I need to be here. This is a school for me. And so not that the other schools weren't awesome too. It was just, I think I need to be out here. And I sort of liked the idea of just going thousands of miles away from, from the place I grew up. So, so you come in as a freshman at Boston college and you got a scholarship for football there. Yeah. Yeah. So walking in on campus versus somebody else who doesn't have a sports scholarship, Mm. that just has to be a heady experience too because you automatically have community. Mm. So what did it feel like being part of a NCAA Division I team? Yeah, well, that's a great question. Um, It's something that I've I've looked for post-football that I still haven't found yet. And I've always thought the church has potential to be that or it should be that. But this idea of the locker room, of having all of these different people, all of these different kids from all these different backgrounds and ethnicities and religions and um, all centered around this silly game, leather ball, chasing around, tackling this. It was so silly when you think about it. It's so simplistic, but it was so groundbreaking for me to to be a part of a uh, an environment where we would bond and overlook those differences for the sake of football. And um, it was awesome. It was awesome. And we didn't just play football together. We lived together. We um, we just did life together. And it was something that it changed me, changed the way I saw life, people. So during your during your college years, would you say that you were connected to God? Would you say that you were walking in faith? How how would you describe mm. how would you describe college as it relates to your faith? Well, no, I was not a active Christian um, verbally. I professed to believe in God and have a faith, but but actually walking out the door, uh, I totally denied any validity to my faith by the way that I lived. Um, was super promiscuous. Um, partied, that whole college experience was a big priority for me in college, in addition to playing football and going to school. But um, my faith was basically, if I can pray really hard Friday night before the game, you know, maybe I'll get the stats that I'm looking for and I'll perform well. And maybe if I don't do certain things during the week, God will be, God will be proud of me and, and happy with the way I've been living my life and he'll reward me with a good performance. And that's literally how it was during the season. I viewed God as somebody who, um, if he did his part, I did, or if I did my part, he would do his part. So kind of manipulating the gods up there, yeah. almost animistically, in which totally. if I do this, he has to do this. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so going through college, do you have, is there a particular moment a particular play in mm-hmm. which you're like, man, this was this was a standout moment for me. Yeah, I would I would probably say my my senior year, um, it was senior day, which was the last game of my career. All the folks were in town, family was coming to see me, and I we it just said you you were in the zone. It was one of those games where you're in the zone, and uh, 
had you know 20 tackles, uh, a couple of pass breakups, and there was this one hit on fourth down. Virginia Tech, they decided to go for it on fourth down. This guy buzzes across the middle. I played middle linebacker. As soon as he caught the ball, boom. I mean, I cleaned his clock. Ball's on the ground. Defense runs off the field, and it was just sort of like, man, I'm – this is this is kind of cool. This is pretty cool. I'm I'm excited about this game and and looking back, that was probably the coolest coolest experience for me playing. Well, I don't think I would want to be hit by you, <laughs> so I can imagine you full force college boy, sure, full head of steam. That would have that would have been pretty intense. Yeah. Did you did you think during your college year, hey, I want to go pro, or did when did that even cross your mind? What's What's the threshold and when you're thinking, okay, I think I can actually think about a career beyond college? Um, in the same way we talked about getting those letters from colleges and high school was the same part in the middle of my senior s- season. I started getting contacts from agents that were looking to represent me because they thought I had what it took to, to give a run at the NFL. And then as the season progressed and, and things started improving and I started playing even better as we went forward, uh, I started getting more calls and then, you know, projections come out and then, um, you're like, Holy cow, this is, this is a, this is for real. We can actually pursue this with not just a pipe dream. This is something that we can feel confident that I'll be with a team come next fall in the NFL. And I didn't want to focus too much on that because you don't you don't want to like jinx it or anything like that. But after the season ended, that process began instantly. Signed with an agent, and we started preparing for um, what's called a pro day, where you basically put everything you have skill wise on display for all of these NFL scouts, and they evaluate you: your body type, how much you weigh, your hand size, how tall you are. Everything is evaluated. Um, you take what's called a wonderlick test, which is a, you know, a standardized test just to see what kind of intelligence you have and critical thinking. And so um, everything is weighed out to see if they want to invest in you. And, um, and that became a reality as soon as that season ended in college. So this starts, how does your family feel about that? How does your friends feel about that? Super pumped up, a lot of support. Uh, parents were, were proud particularly my dad, because he's been the one since day one who's just invested, 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 speed camps, uh, all these different passing camps and in ways to improve your skill growing up. And he was the first person on the plane to come watch me play, my mom too, um, all the way out in Boston. They were just there. Um, and so they were really excited about that. And they, I think, felt like they were part of it. You know, it wasn't just my dream. I think it sort of became slowly their dream to see it happen because they were so invested emotionally, financially, and um, relationally. And so um, when it happened, when when I signed that contract, it was like, this is, this has happened. This happened. This is crazy. Um, the, the dream has been realized. And all of these people are in it sort of with me, backing me, excited about it. And um, it was it was surreal. It really was. I mean, you've got your first check from the NFL. Yeah, yeah. Now, tell me how your heart gets broken. Mm. Yeah, so um, you're there. 
but you know, you, you still know that you have to make the team. I have to, you, it's surreal. You're on cloud nine, but you still have to make the team. And so I couldn't stay healthy. Um, I, they put me in a position I didn't play in college. And then to me, the writing was sort of on the wall. As soon as the preseason ended, there was no confidence whatsoever in me that thought I would be able to make this team. And then I got that phone call and it was from the head coach. Hey, we want to talk to you. And I already knew. I knew what the call was about. So I went in and said, hey, we're, we're, we're not interested in pursuing anything. We're going to let you go. You're released. And, uh, and as, as quickly as it came, it left and it was gone and it was over. And so um, that sort of started this whole process of now what? If I'm not this, if this isn't who I am and what I do, who am I? What am I going to do now? So, I mean, that has to be a painfully low point. Yeah, because just you know, just as as we were talking about people who were in it with you, that's that's where your mind goes. At least that's where my mind went. Was I'm letting them down? They've invested so much in me. They deserve to see this thing play out and because it's no longer there, are they still going to be proud of me? Are they still going to want what's best for me? Do they still think that I have worth and value? And all these things start rushing in your head. And I always laugh about it because on the, on the plane ride home, I was on a Southwest flight and of all the seats I could have picked or they could have put me on was the middle seat. And I was just sandwiched between these two large gentlemen. And I'm just like miserable, just super sad. Like what's, what am I going to do next? I'm on this flight back to Chicago with no plan B. There's no plan B. This was it. This was it. Well, in that, is God talking to you? Is and looking back, you might be able to see with a little more clarity. Mm, yeah, that's great. What is that looking back through the lens of faith in that moment to where you are now? What do you think God was doing in you during that point? I love the fact that we can look back at it because it brings so much clarity when you look back. Because when you're in it, you don't know. You, you're not. You're not aware of of what's taking place. But when I look back. I see the Lord speaking to my heart saying, this is, this is what it means to be weak. This is what weakness feels like. This is what dependence feels like. Um, this is what it means to be stripped away of everything that you've tried to build. This identity of your own making, that's gone now and there's nothing left and now we're going to rebuild and we're going to rebuild on my terms the way there's, there's always been this sense of, I want to be, there's this vision in my head of the man I've always wanted to be. And I've always pursued that image in my head through different means. And I thought football would be the vehicle to get me there. But the Lord was, was saying so clearly in the, in those early moments you are going to be the man I'm, I've called you to be, but I'm going to get you there in a way that has requires nothing of you other than to just be obey, obedient. And how you're going to get there is going to be totally based on your trust in me to get you there. And so 
I'm not going to give you too much of vision for the future, but uh, you're, you're going to get there. And uh, there's going to be a process along the way, and you're just going to have to trust that process. You know, I, th- I think that resonates with a lot of people. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of broken dreams out there. Yeah. A lot of misplaced identity. Yeah, definitely. Um, especially when we live in a culture that is so driven by what people's perceptions are of you mm-hmm. and how you appear to the masses and everything else. Yeah. And that deconstruction, would you say, was there a wilderness time for you? I, I, I'm guessing you're around 23, 24. Yeah, 24 years old. So kind of in that search for, you know, Nick Clancy 3.0 or mm, 2.0, whatever it would be, what did that look like for you? Well, I think number one, when you, when you fall, when you fall like that, because it wasn't just a little fall, it was great heights all the way to the bottom. It, it just sort of broke me wide open. And, and there were all these just different pieces on the ground. That's the, that's the way that helps me sort of imagine it all these different pieces of, of the identity that was me for so long. And then the Lord putting those pieces together in this wilderness period where I had to get different friends, um, had to be in a position where I was very isolated. And I heard this pastor say, sometimes God puts you in a season of loneliness so that you'll learn how to depend on him. And so there was this long season of loneliness where you found out who your real friends were. Um, you, you find out which people were going down the right path and, and which people weren't. And when you decide to go down a certain path, it just happens naturally. You know, people just start exiting your life, not because you necessarily want it. It just start, starts to happen. And it was in that season of loneliness, of obscurity, the Lord was just teaching me how to, how to depend on him and to be patient and to seek him and to, um, to realize that whatever was coming next, I didn't have to worry about it. Um, he wasn't in a hurry. I was, I wanted to know what was next. What's, what's going to replace this dream. And, um, I don't know what the answer is to that yet, you know, and still, still. And so, and you're 31. So we're talking five, six years later. Yeah. And so what's happened since then has been this constant state of like becoming where there really isn't a destination as much as it is just me finding out the rhythms and the pace of walking with the Lord and just um, following after his guidance and dying along the way and being really, really honest with myself about my own insecurities and my own weaknesses and my own selfishness because <laughs> when your ego is so inflated through an identity that gives you all these affirmations and praise from people um you want to replace that with something and i think that's what happens with a lot of athletes if i'm being honest is when that ends they want to replace it they want to find something to replace it so that there's something to dream about again and um yeah was was there a character in scripture that you feel like you resonate with Mm. When you look at your journey and you're like, yeah, that's, I resonate right there. Uh, Peter, the apostle Peter, without a doubt, you know, I see this guy who on the surface, on the onset, had it all figured out, right? He was this leader. He was this courageous guy, this tough person who, you know, leaders go first. Peter was the first to, 
to, to leave the boat when Jesus said, come to me, when he's walking on water. You know, P- Peter's the guy who speaks first and, and, and is the first to grab the sword and come to Jesus's rescue. But behind all of that, there was a lot of weakness and insecurity and, and fear of man. And, um, and that was, that was a, a big eye opener for me when, when this dream ended, all that got exposed and it, and it, it humbled me. It humbled me to go back to God and just say, I don't have it all figured out. I'm not as tough as I appear to be. Um, I'm not as sophisticated as I appear to be. And there's something about being in that state of weakness where you know that um, it's only by the grace of God that you can continue on um, as he shapes and molds and builds um, the person that he's called each and every one of us to be. Was there a particular scripture or verse that you really value and and hang on to? Um, James 4.10, humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. I think um, for the dreamers out there, we have these dreams and part of that dream is an an exalting of sorts, right? Because you're trying to reach something. You have a goal that you want to reach and... I think in this day and age, at least this is how I see it, um, self-promotion and wanting to build your brand and get yourself out there um, is a way of trying to exalt yourself that usurps what God wants to do and in his rhythm of, of wanting to bring you to that place. And so that verse has always just sort of anchored me to say, I have to keep humble I have to humble, self, humble myself before the Lord so that whatever comes, whatever, whatever success comes, whatever influence comes, whatever platform comes, whatever that looks like, um, he'll get the glory. He'll get the credit. It, it'll be because he did it. He made it happen, not me. It's funny you say that. Last night, my 15-year-old daughter, who's freshman, is playing junior varsity volleyball, and they asked her to play some be on the varsity team too. Mm. But last night, the coaches called and said, hey, we're going to have you playing regularly on varsity. Wow. Is she and tall? She's not that tall. She's just a really good setter. Mm. And wow. I took a picture of her today. It was of an old picture of her as a, like a two-year-old. And I sent it to her and I said, who would have known, you know, this two-year-old would be such a good volleyball player? And then I said, stay humble, stay small, and see what God does with you. Yeah. You know, I think that's a challenge for all of us. Yeah. Is to stay humble, to stay yeah. small, mm. to stay out of the way. Yeah. If you could go back, Nick, and tell your 17-year-old senior self mm. in high school anything, knowing what you know now, what would you tell him? Don't compromise. Don't compromise. Um, I think there was this, um, there was this fork in the road when you grow up in the church and you know, what's right and you know, what's wrong. It's been ingrained in you, you know, train a child up the way they should go. Yeah. That's my parents. But there was a point where I compromised. I said, I'm going to put my faith on the side here. I'm going to put God on the side. It's not really doing much for me all the success I've had, I think that's been me. I think I've done most of that. And I'm going to see where this goes with Nick 
at the helm <laughs> with Nick guiding the ship and, um, and navigating the seas. And that compromise led into another compromise and another compromise. And it led into, um, this, um, and, and this isn't new to, this is, this is preaching to the choir, but we all think deep down when we decide to seize autonomy for ourselves and decide what's right and wrong, we think it's going to satisfy us. We think it's going to be the pinnacle and it's going to make us happy. And it never did. And it never does. And so I would say to that, that kid, do not compromise, continue to do what's right. Even when it makes you look foolish, even if it makes you unpopular, even if it makes you not as, um, uh, praiseworthy, so to speak, in the eyes of your peers. And then I would ask you, to the man or woman out there who's been pursuing something with great passion, who's been all in, mm. who's been running hard after something, yeah. and now they realize that's gone, what would you tell them? What words of encouragement would you say to them? Mm. It's not over. It's not over. That's a, that's a great position to be in. It, it, it seems like it's over, but it's just the beginning. Absolutely. When you, when you are in it with God, it's never over. It's just the beginning of something different he's doing. And it is better. You have to trust that it's better. And that's part of the journey. He doesn't show you exactly why it's better. And, and for me, it was like, how does it get better than this? but it does and it will. And the stuff that he's doing on the inside of you that you can't see and the people around you can't see visibly, it doesn't manifest itself always in tangible, successful symbols in our culture, but it's worth everything that he's doing on the inside that no one can't see. The character that he's building inside of you, um, the patience he's putting inside of you, the stuff that's eternal, um, that, that would be my encouragement. Don't, don't, it's not over. Just, just trust the process and keep, keep chasing after God and let him do whatever he needs to do in you and enjoy that relationship as you walk with him in that process. Well, six years later, after all of this, yeah. what do you find yourself doing now? I am a teaching pastor at a uh, church in Chandler called the Springs Church. And, um, that was, that to me was, if you would have told me, hey, this is what's better. You're going to be a pastor after football. And it's like, um, wow, that seems like, it seems like a demotion in the eyes of the world. Um, but it has definitely been a promotion um, because the Lord has showed me how to have a shepherd's heart, how to, how to love people unconditionally, how to see people not as means to an end, but just ends in and of themselves just to enjoy people. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm just, I'm learning, man. I, I am so far from where I need to be or where I want to be as a, as a 31 year old pastor, but, um, I'm, I'm grateful. I'm so grateful to be in the position that I'm in. So, well, Nick, this is just what I know of you. I love it because you're real. And you've got Thanks, a message man. that I think a lot of people need to hear. There's a documentary, Thanks, I think it's called Trophy Kids. Mm. Um, that's just 
shows the pressure that's on young yeah. people in culture as it relates to sports and parents driving them and identity performance. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, I think what you have to say really is encouraging, and especially for young people Thanks, as well, hearing, yeah. you know, yeah. God's yeah. got something better. He just does. Yeah.